Amen. What beautiful worship we had this morning. Thank you, Josh, Wesley, and Darlene. Marlene. Why did I say Darlene? Marlene. Yeah. A sound mind. We can go home right now just on that. So we can see clear. Some of us, we got cloudy minds. We can't see clear. But welcome this morning. My name's Devon. Uh, I teach one of our, well, I teach uh, our Sunday school here with uh, a couple others, and I'm pretty excited to be here. Uh, every week, pastor usually says some of the same thing after the worship. He's like, wasn't that worship good? And it felt different today because I was pouring into the word all week. And so when you're priming yourself all week, you're in that word, worship is different. Worship is different because you are in the flowing river of God. And so when you come in and you, you worship corporately, that's together, it's a different manifestation of the Spirit. And, and so I felt I was over there. I haven't, usually sometimes, you know, sometimes I raise my hands and then my back of my mind, I'm like, well, who's looking at me? <laughs> Y'all do it too. <laughs> yeah, but not today. I was like, Yes. <laughs> And so again, I just think thank you, Joshua, uh, for, uh, for bringing that worship to us. All righty, today we're going to really, we're going to deep dive into a character in the Bible uh, named Boaz, and he's found in the book of Ruth. And so we're going to be in the book of Ruth today, and um, it's fun. I, I'm, I'm excited to share what God has really um, asked me to share today. So most people, when they think of the book of Ruth, you think of an amazing love story. You do. So I asked our small group, shout out to our small group, um, what's your favorite love story? And so um, as they come up here, this is what I got. And these are in alphabetical order, small group. I did not prioritize who said what. Uh, blended. It's a pretty cool movie. Two families kind of blend together. Casablanca. Uh, again, that's one where at the end, uh, they don't get together. And so we'll, we'll get to that. You know, always in a love story, they don't always get together. Uh, definitely, maybe, Gone with the Wind. Uh, one of our members said her grandparents uh, wrote letters back and forth during World War II. Uh, that, that's pretty, that's, that's powerful. Uh, love and Basketball, that was my high school movie, yes. Uh, Message in a Bottle, the book by Nicholas Sparks. Uh, the Notebook. I had a lot of notebook people. Some of y'all out here love a notebook. Um, serendipity and the vow. Again, some of these love stories, they're happy. You know, they meet, they fall in love, there's a crazy drama, there's a plot twist, and then, boom, they're together. Kind of like Shakespeare. Some of you all like Shakespeare. The reason you know if Shakespeare is writing a tragedy or a comedy is depending on where the wedding happens in the story. If the wedding is more toward the beginning, it's tragedy. If the wedding is more toward the end, it's comedy. That's how Shakespeare wrote. So even in the story, sometimes it was funny parts, sometimes it wasn't, but wherever the wedding happened, that's how you knew if it was a fun story or a tragic story. And this, it's a pretty happy story in Ruth. It starts out in despair. Uh, then at the end of the story, we see a marriage. And they live happily ever after. 
that usually how the stories go. I asked a couple of the students this morning their favorite Disney princesses. I heard Rapunzel. I heard Ariel. Uh, I heard Mulan. That was me. Um, I'm a Mulan person. Uh, but, you know, most Disney stories, they are kind of that happily ever ending. And I think we're they reading Ruth. <laughs> was someone in the Disney room with Ruth right on the desk? It's like, okay, let me draw some characters that are strong, that, are that have integrity, that, that have grit, that have valor. Because everything in Ruth is amazing. As we discover Boaz, Boaz is a legit dude. You know, so for, if you're married... I'm just, I'm already jumping ahead. I told you I get excited. Chapter 2, alone. This is what they describe as Boaz in chapter 2, alone. He is a protector. He provides safety. He has integrity. He listens. I'm going to say that again. He listens. Some of us don't listen well. I raise my hand. <laughs> I don't always listen well. He loves and respects his workers. He's generous. He's kind. He's thoughtful. He's gracious. He's informed. He gives blessings. Oh, that's chapter two. What? I mean, that's, that's like, oh, I want, I want a Boaz. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, yeah, I want a Boaz. Some of y'all got a Boaz. So hold on to that Boaz. I'm looking around at the people that marry. Y'all hold on to your Boazes because I know some of the men in here, there's some good men. So as we jump into chapter 3, I do want to give some context. We're going to start with chapter 3, but I want to give context on what's going on. So chapter 1, it says, this story happened in the time of the judges. So for any of the Bible scholars in the room, you know that this is a very depressed and challenging time. There is a phrase as, that is repeated eight or nine times through the book of Judges, and it says that the people did what was right in their own eyes. It's repeated. The people did what was right in their own eyes. Not what was right in God's eyes, what was right in their own eyes. So the entire book of Judges is, is just dreadful. They, they listen to God for like three verses. Then they did what was right in their own eyes. And then you see that God allowed some things to happen because of their disobedience. No different from us today. Sometimes because we haven't done what God has asked us to do, sometimes things happen in our life. I'm not saying everything that bad that happens in your life is because we did something wrong. No. But we do know there are times in our life when we knew what was right, yet we chose a different path. That's where you're supposed to say amen. Yeah, that's um, channeling Jim. That's how he. But that's what happens in the book of Judges. Yet, we get this beautiful story of Ruth that's kind of tagged along. It's, on, it's right after Judges, and it's completely different. It's actually a stark contrast. Every bad thing that happens in Judges is a good thing that happens in Ruth. So again, I, I really encourage everyone just read the book. It's four chapters. It will take you literally 20 minutes to read the entire book. And you can say, I read a book of the Bible today. <laughs> and so other things within this context of Ruth, uh, in addition to being a love story, it's not just a love story. No, it's not. There's a lot of hidden and deep truths uh, that we will unpack today in Ruth. It... Um, projects Boaz as this person that is a picture of Christ. 
He is a picture of Christ. And we'll get that uh, toward the, the end of the message when we talk about Boaz uh, and him being a picture of who Christ is. So we open up this story, the family. Elimelech uh, is important to know. This is uh, the patriarch. This is the person in the story of Ruth that it's all based on, even though it's named Ruth. It's really the story of Elimelech. Elimelech is the patriarch whose, whose wife is Naomi. There is a famine in Judah. There is a famine. Now, if you go to the book of Judges, about chapter 7, you're going to get to a judge called Gideon. And then there are some, some phrases in there that allude to this being when the famine was happening. So a lot of scholars and theologians think the, that the story of Ruth is actually in Judges 7, uh, but I'm not smart as them, so I'm just telling you what I learned this week in my study. Uh, and so uh, Gideon is presumably the judge at this point. And so there's a famine in Jerusalem. No, so anyone knows pop quiz time, channeling Jim. Anyone know, and I'm going to tell you what it is, and then you can raise your hand if you know the answer. Anyone knows what Bethlehem means? Bethlehem. The house of bread. Absolutely. In the house of bread, there is no bread. In the house of bread, there is no bread. There is a famine in the land. Why is there a famine in the land? Because the people ain't doing what they're supposed to be doing. God's told them what to do time and time again. He's been their deliverer. He's been their provider. He's guided them through Exodus. They've gone through Joshua, and now it's in Judges. Joshua's gone. The leader Moses and Joshua, they are gone. Now they're with judges, and they are doing what's pleasant in their sight over and over again. And you know, our Bible talks to us about consequences, and sometimes consequences in 10 generations down. God is still God, even though we have Jesus, which is a great thing. God is still God, a God of wrath, a God of justice. We have Jesus, amen. And you know what protects us from that wrath? Jesus. Jesus protects you from, because God's still wrath. But because we have Jesus, Jesus took the wrath on our behalf. But Jesus hadn't been, Jesus hadn't come yet as a man. So right now they are in the wrath aspect and there's this famine. Boaz goes to Moab. Moab um, Elimelech goes to Moab. For people that know things about the Bible, this isn't a good thing. God told them time and time again, don't associate with Moabites. Don't marry Moabites. Don't let them in. Why? Because these are people that, that were enemies of the, of the people of Israel. Why is that? Because when they were fleeing, and when they, especially in the book of Joshua, they were fleeing uh, from the oppressors, the Moabite people, they didn't come to their rescue. You go all the way back to the lineage, Moab actually comes from Israel. Lot, who is Abraham's nephew. Lot's daughters do some trickery, unfortunately, and they have a couple sons. One of the sons um, is where the, son, uh, where the people of Moab come from. So while they are familiar, they're not godly. And some of y'all got family like that. We got people in our family that think they know, but they don't really know. But then they have us to show them uh, the way in which we should go. And so Elimelech, they travel to to Moab, uh, to, and Moab apparently has food, so the, the famine hasn't gotten to Moab, and they're there, but unfortunately, tragedy happens. Elimelech dies. Naomi, the wife, is left. Her two sons 
uh, Malon and Killian are there, but now they've taken Moabite wives. Um, Ten years after that, they die. So it's tragic. It's a dark time right now. But again, just like Shakespeare, the earlier the darkness, the more romantic or comedy is the story. And it's no different here. You know, so I guess uh, God is the better Shakespeare. That's what we're going to say because he understood how to write the story. Uh, and so even though we see this tragedy on, Naomi is now what happens when you lose your wife and your children. You become stressed. You become grief-stricken. And she says, you know what? I've got wind from back home that the famine has lifted. Barley season's coming up. I'm going home. And as she starts down the road with her daughters-in-law, somewhere along the way she tells them, Go back. Go back to your mothers. There's nothing I can do for you. I, I'm too old. I can't have no more kids. And even if I did, you, are you going to wait around uh, so, so you can marry one of them? And, and so there's clear devotion. In this ancient time of, uh, of, of Middle Eastern culture, and it's very similar today, marriage is different. So I, in 2013, was able to go to a wedding in Nigeria, and it was amazing. It was awesome. And so, but I went to the, the traditional wedding, and I learned some cool things that actually helped me understand not only the book of Ruth, but, but all of marriages throughout the Old Testament. So, when the woman, so we'll say um, Ruth in this case, when the woman marries the man, Malon was her husband, she no longer is a member of her family. She now is a member of his family. So she literally is a member of this family. But a marriage also joined families together. So you'll read this, this contract. A marriage joins families together. So me and Lauren, she's up there. When we got together, if we were in this context, she would now be a part of the Ural's family. She is a Ural's. She's part of the Ural's family. But since my family, Ural's, and her family, Betts, are now connected. She's a part of the Betts family through me. Did that lose anybody? <laughs> it's kind of interesting. So, yeah, you're like, well, of course she's a Betts because she grew up there. Well, technically, in this context, she's only a member of their family because the man now is a part of their family. It's really interesting and confusing. But in this story, Ruth is now a part of the clan of Elimelech. Again, Elimelech is the key figure. She is the, she's a member of this clan. But then her husband dies. Her father-in-law dies. But she has now got this deep devotion to this family. And babe, I'm going to have you put that, uh, that first slide up. She gives this, uh, this vow that most of us know because we read it and when we think of Ruth, we think of this. She says, don't urge me to go, return. She says, for where you go, I will go. I want you to count these. That's one. Where you lodge, I will lodge. What's that? Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts from me to you. Seven. <laughs> this is a seven-part pledge. Anybody other than me know that seven is a good number in the Bible? <laughs> She's serious. She's loyal. She's down. She's like, no. Where you die, I'm going to die. 
That's loyalty. And, and throughout the story, we see that Ruth is extremely loyal through everything. Your people, my people, your God, my God. What's this? So again, let's back up in the story. I already told you, God said, don't mess with the Moabites. Don't mess with the Moabite people. Well, Ruth's a Moabite. Well, this is what we would call her salvation. That's an amen there. She is being saved. She is identifying with the covenant community. She is saying, your God will be my God, not the gods of Moab, not the gods of the people I grew up with. I'm with you now. So Ruth is actually a picture of us. In the Old Testament, all of the books in the Old Testament are about Jews, except Ruth. Ruth's the only Bible or the only book in the Old Testament that is actually about someone that's not a Jew, even though it's about Elimelech, as I told you before, but the title of it is Ruth. So what is that telling me? This book is for us because we are the church. The church is also Jewish and Gentile, but most of us are Gentile unless we are actually Jewish. So this is an early story of us. This is telling me, wow, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Even in the Old Testament, even there, there is a part of the church that was there, and that's where Ruth is represented. All right, chapter 2. I've already kind of given you a little bit. Uh, they travel, well, at the end of chapter 1, they travel to Bethlehem. Orpha, the other uh, daughter-in-law, has gone home. Ruth is staying with, uh, with Naomi. Now, this is where it's going to get interesting. In this time period, it's pretty dangerous to travel. This is still the time of the judges. There are bandits, there are raiders, there are people that are out. So even if you were a single man traveling from Moab to Bethlehem, where they came from, that's about a 50 to 60 mile journey, which is about 7 to 10 days. That's a long way. So even as a man traveling by yourself, this is very dangerous. And you've got Naomi that says, I'm going to go by myself. And Ruth's like, nah, your people, my people, your God, my God, where you buried, I'm buried. Where you die, I'm going to die. That's it. No, I'm riding with you. Brave, loyal. Uh, uh, Ruth is loyal. She's brave. She knows this is going to be rough because the elevation is interesting. From Moab, you actually go down almost a mile in elevation on this walk. Then you got some plains. <laughs> then you go up 3,000 miles, foothills, to get up to where Bethlehem. This, is, this, is, this ain't no journey. Some of y'all like to hike, but y'all like, I ain't doing that. Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. This, this, is, this, this is not faint-hearted. This is a dangerous thing for anybody to do, let alone two women. So we already know that God is the protector. He's showing providence in this story because he's allowed these two women to travel seven to ten days by themselves down, flat, and up to get back safely. And so I can only imagine what Ruth is going through. You ain't going that far without nobody. No, I'm with you. So I got to ask yourself, do we have that same allegiance to our people, to our kids? to our family, to our mother-in-law. I know mother-in-law sometimes get a bad rep nowadays, but I say, no, get in the word of God because we got the best picture of a mother-in-law that you can ever imagine. She loves Ruth. 
We're going to see in the story where she provides for Ruth. She takes care of her, but Ruth also takes care of her mother-in-law. So they get back. They're poor. Y'all say poor. Think in your mind of somebody that you know that's poor. They're they worse than that. These are two women and no family, nothing. They have nothing. They're back, they're destitute, they're poor. Chapter 2, Ruth asked Naomi's permission to go glean. If you want to check out gleaning, go to Leviticus 19, 9, and 10. Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22, it helps you understand the law of gleaning. This is kind of, in our Western mind, this is like God's welfare system. Even if you're poor, you can eat. Because when it's harvest time, you can go in and glean. He flat out tells them, when you harvest, don't pick it all. <laughs> if something falls, don't get and pick it up. Some of y'all perfectionists in here. Y'all couldn't be no, no harvesters. Not in those days. You'd be picking it up everything. Uh-uh. God is making allowance for poor, for widows, for orphans. God's amazing. God knows that there are people that are going to have circumstances where there's no one to redeem them. So God has institute, instituted this law of, of gleaning. And Ruth uh, clearly knows this custom. She's living with Naomi. She, they want to eat. So we're in chapter 2. We find Boaz. Uh, I've already told you all the amazing things about Boaz. Um, when, when we first meet him, it says that uh, he is a worthy man. Your ESV may say worthy. Some of them say mighty man. But this Hebrew word is called Gabor, G-I-B-B-O-R, Gabor. And uh, sometimes Pastor Jim talks about there are words that just have so many meanings, and this word is no different. Gabor means so many different things in so many different contexts, but they're all positive. Gabor, Gabor could mean wealth, warrior, mighty, valiant, strong, champion, chief, and this is Boaz. Boaz is Gabor. Boaz is, Boaz is mighty. Again, he introduces himself to Ruth. He's very generous. He offers her some things. He, I'm not going to read all this because I'm still in the context. Read it. Chapter 1 and 2. Take 10 minutes out of your life. I'm already cutting it in half. Take 10 minutes out of your life. Read Ruth chapter 1 and 2. Okay. Let's jump. Now let's turn to Ruth chapter 3 verse 1. And we're going to get into this story. All righty. Then Naomi, I'm reading from the ESV. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I, not, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, and whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, wash therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover. Go, go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. She went down to the threshing floor, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had, in, had eaten and, and drunk and his heart was merry, he went and lied down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly. And uncovered his feet and lay down. All right, we'll stop there. So in your slide, Boaz the Mary. 
M-E-R-R-Y, Boaz the Merry. I'll paint the picture right now. Boaz is pretty happy. During this harvest, so again, we pick up the story where they're in the, in the barley harvest. End of chapter 2, we read that, that Ruth stays on through the, the barley harvest and then also through the wheat harvest. So Ruth has been gleaning for several weeks, maybe two months, two, three months for us, gleaning, working hard, sweat equity. She's out in that field. She's doing what she got to do to provide for her family. Some of y'all know what that feels like. You do stuff you don't want to do. You go to work when you don't want to go. You do stuff you don't need to do because you look in the mirror and you say, I got to eat. You look down the hall, they got to eat. So you do what you got to do. And Ruth is doing that in this story. But it's been a long time. But now it's over. The wheat and the barley harvest have come to an end, and in this time, there was celebration. All right, we got all our stuff, and now we're, celebra- we're celebrating. So they go to the threshing floor. So I'm just going to read this because I got this from a commentary. The end of harvest was, ha- was a happy time filled with celebrations. The threshing floor was the place where the grain was separated uh, from the harvested wheat. The wheat stalks were crushed, and the valuable grain, uh, which the inner kernel, separated from the worthless chaff, the outside shell. The floor was made from rock or soil and located outside the village, usually on an elevated site where the wind could blow away the lighter chaff uh, when the crushed wheat was thrown into the air or winnowed. Boaz spent the night beside the threshing floor for a couple reasons, they think. One, to prevent theft. We are in the time of judges. (laughs) People out, well, you worked hard. It's no different from today. You work hard and people want to steal what you got. No different here. And then two, they took turns. Uh, threshing the grain. Uh, they did that at night because in the day they were actually harvesting. But anyway, we, we've got our stuff. We've got our food. For the farmers in the room, harvest is over. You're like, yes, we're good. We're done uh, for right now. We, you know, we do it again in the next harvest time. But they're great. And But now we've got this mother-in-law, Naomi. And this is a lot of interesting stuff that she's telling you here. So some of this is a little misconception because you think there's more advances that are happening, but there's really not. So, but you got this mother-in-law that she's saying, for lack of better words, all right, all right, baby girl, it's time. <laughs> it's time I got to find you a, a home. So in that verse one, when she says, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for you? Rest, that Greek word, that Hebrew word is actually home. She's saying, I need to find you a home so you can be provided for. So Naomi is now returning the favor because as I just told you, Ruth's been in the, in the, in the field for months. And you know how Naomi been eating? Because of Ruth. So now Ruth is like, or Naomi's like, okay, it's time for me to return this favor. Naomi is concerned, uh, like a good mother is. The customs, they're strange to us, like we hear this, but this is over 3,000 years ago. You know, to tell a person, wash yourself, put on perfume, put on your best clothes, go down there, lay at his feet. They're like, what? Anybody else like, what? But think about it. In 3,000 years, this may be interesting. What is this? Proposal. Why? Why do we do that? I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, but 3,000 years, that's strange. Why'd you get down on one knee? Why didn't you just do it this way? I mean, again, the customs are going to be different because of the time we're in. And so as we're going to see... Um, later in the next section, what Ruth is doing is she's actually, she's making a marriage proposal. That's what she's doing. But again, we know that Ruth is loyal. That same scripture up there earlier, I'll let you put it up there again, babe. Um, 
Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. May the Lord, and where you, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so uh, to me and more also if anything but death parts us. This is an amazing vow. But I want us to back up a, a scripture. Before it all happened, Naomi actually made a vow too. We kind of read over that one. Ruth chapter 1, verse 8b. I'm not sure if I put this one up there or not. It says, make the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, the dead, and with me. So she's saying, I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Ruth. Do kindly with you because you've been good to me and the dead, which is my husband and your, and, and your, and your, your husband. Then she says, the Lord grant the Lord grant you that you find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. So Naomi is already saying, look, bless you. I want you to go find another husband. I want you to do well. So right now in chapter 3, Naomi is trying to actually answer her own blessing. She's already blessed Naomi to leave, but uh, she already blessed Ruth to leave, but Ruth doesn't leave. She stays. Your people, my people, your God, my God. And now she's working hard. Now Naomi is saying, okay, it's time. It's time for me to find you a home, and Boaz is this home. Ruth has kept her word. She's been faithful. Uh, again, I've talked about the, the word meaning home. But here's three questions I've got for parents. So parents in the room. <laughs> Naomi's being a really good parent. That's what she's doing. She's being a good parent. She's making sure that her child is taken care of. So questions for parents. One, are we praying for our children to be in godly relationships? That's a question. Hannah, back in uh, 1 Samuel, she's praying for her son who wasn't even born yet. She's praying, can I have a son, one, and when I have the son, I'm just going to commit him to the Lord. So even us as parents, are we praying that our, our children are going to be in godly relationships? And godly relationships doesn't always mean marriage because some people are not going to get married. That's just, that's the way it is. But are we praying that they're going to have godly people at their jobs and school? They're going to have friends that, that, that love the Lord, that love Jesus. As parents, this is what we can be doing. We could be modeling what Naomi is doing. Two, are we continuing to, to provide spiritual blessings? Are we continuing to provide spiritual blessings? Again, that's what Naomi has done. She is blessing our Lord. You know, when, when we go to bed each night, uh, we bless Daxton. You have a great night. Uh, we, we pray that for you, you're going to have good dreams. It doesn't de deeper cerebral. This is common, b basic stuff. We pray over him. Are you continuing to do that? It doesn't matter if your child is 100, 50, 50 years old, 60, or 10 months like ours. Are you, as a parent, continuing to bless your child? Take a, book from, uh, take a page from Naomi. Three, are we coaching our children to be like Jesus? Are we coaching our children to be like Jesus? New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters, 13 that we know of. But he was a coach and encourager as well. He wrote a few letters to two different people. He wrote a letter to Timothy. He wrote a letter to Titus. These are very encouraging letters, but he was providing some coaching. When you run this, when you're the pastor of this church, this is what you do. This is how you do it. When you do this, this is what you do. Heat's going to come to you. People aren't going to do what you always want them to do, but stay the course. So, again, are we as parents providing that coaching uh, for, for our children? All righty. Let's jump into verse 3 now. 
wash theirself and anoint wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. There's a lot of stuff in here. Wash yourself, anoint yourself, that's two. Put on your cloak, three. Go down to the threshing floor, four. So that's four different things. So Naomi may be saying, wash yourself, anoint yourself. She's been in the field. Summertime, you know, you're you, you working hard. You need to get you a little shower, get some little zest, some dove in there. Um, she's saying, anoint yourself. Put up, smell good. Put on some perfume. Uh, put on some new clothes. Uh, at this point, wearing mourning clothes, M-O-U-R-I-N-G, mourning, was a thing. So Ruth most likely was walking around in her mourning clothes, signaling that she's unavailable. I'm not available. I've got my mourning clothes on. I've got my veil. I've got dark clothes on. I'm not available. Naomi said, it's time, baby girl. <laughs> it's time to take off them mourning clothes, get them leggings off, them, them, them grief pants, put them in the, uh-uh. It's time to put on, as we would say probably right now, your best dress. Some of y'all go out on dates, and you put your best stuff on because you're going out with your people. And so she's saying, go, put on your best things. And then she's saying, go, go to him. So four things. I think there's deeper meaning into this. So let's, let's break this down. Washing. Pastor Jim had a really good sermon on foot washing. I'm, I'm still looking at those notes, foot washing, this aspect of spiritual regeneration. This washing is a reference that we need Jesus to wash away our sins. Um, this is spiritual washing that only Jesus can do. John 13, 8 says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So we need Jesus to clean ourselves. So again, even though in the story it's all interesting and flowery, but there's deeper context underneath. So wash yourself or have Jesus wash you. Two, anointing. The anointing is a reference to our need as Christians to have the Holy Spirit. Nothing that we can do in this world is in our own uh, might, strength, power. The Holy Spirit as Christians guide us through how we navigate, whether we're teaching a class, whether we're walking uh, or upright to our children so they can see us. We have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when they says, wash yourself, you got to let Jesus clean you up, but also we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we cannot wash ourselves. We cannot anoint ourselves. It has to be divine anointing through Christ Jesus. So 1 Corinthians 2.10 says this, God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. What is he saying? We can't do anything without the Spirit. Nothing. So sometimes we think it's our intelligence, but no, it's not an intellectual process. It's a spiritual process. You're not smart and you figured all this stuff out. No, you pray and say, Holy Spirit, come over me. Help me understand what's going on so I can figure out what to do. That's what we're supposed to do. Three, put on your cloak. This could be a reference to being clothed in righteousness. Isaiah 61 and 10 says, for he has clothed me, this is God, for God has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Again, this robe of righteousness, meaning when we have a relationship with God, we put our trust in Christ. So we have to robe ourselves with righteousness, put on that cloak, robe ourselves in righteousness. And then Four, go to the threshing floor. Naomi says, go. Go to Boaz. We, God is saying to us, we must take action. 
Yes, Jesus loves us all day long, but he still wants you to come. Go, what does it say? Ask, seek, knock. Yeah, Jesus loves us, but we have to go. We have to ask. Romans 10, 9 says that, you get it here. I know it in a different version. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. But that's an if then. You have to do the if. The if is if you confess. If, if Jesus didn't want it that way, it would have just said, you will be saved. <laughs> we have to go to the threshing floor. That's our job. love this when we go to the threshing floor we are telling Jesus we're available we're available sometimes we're not mentally available sometimes we're not available we, we, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus but we don't believe in our heart that's called lip service some of us know what that means when we're around people and they say the right things but you know it's not true so my encouragement today for us is not just to say the right things, but to mean the right things. Go to the threshing floor. Go to that floor and mean what we're saying with Christ. So, again, Boaz the Mary. He's happy. He's excited. He got this, this girl that just popped up at his feet. That's an interesting story. This is humility, by the way. Let's go on to the next point. Boaz the family redeemer. Boaz, the family redeemer. Verse 8, and at midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. I'm, yes, I'm, I'm reading this because I, yes, this, I'm doing this facetiously, absolutely. Uh, it's a love story. Spread your wings over your servant, for, the, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after a young man, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Oh, he's sweet. He's talking good to her. Uh -huh. And now it is true. Uh-oh. Here, here comes the part of the story. That's the drama. This is the, the, the turn in the plot. And it is true that I am a redeemer, but, or yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning I will redeem. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if not, but if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down here until morning. So the context of this is, Boaz wants this. You know, you read, Boaz wants this. In chapter 2, he notices this. He goes right to the foreman in chapter 2. Who that? Who over there? When you're in the field, there's a lot of people in the field. There's a lot of women. There's a lot of gleaners. But he says, who is that woman? He goes right to the foreman. Who is that woman? He says, that's Ruth the Moabitess. She's been working all day, all morning. She only took a couple short breaks. He's like, oh, okay. Then he goes right, this is, I was talking to uh, JR this morning. This field belongs to Boaz. Boaz is the big boss. Some of y'all understand what that means. John Deere, 
you got, you got foreman, you got supervisor, you got all different types. But then there's a CEO. And the CEO came. The big boss is here. So the form, he comes, talks to the foreman, the big boss is here. And he says, who's that? He is already showing that he is lowering himself. That's a picture of Jesus right there. Jesus humbly left heaven. He had to go nowhere. <laughs> He's God. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he came down to live as a man, lowly, born in a manger. Couldn't even be born in a house. He born in an animal trough, lowly. Boaz is showing that he's coming low. He said, who is that woman? Then you go in chapter 2. He goes to her. I know who you are. I've heard what you've done for your, for your mother-in-law. And then he blesses her. He says that, uh, I bless you. I hope that you find greatness. I hope that you find a husband. I hope that you find all that you find. Okay, now he's about to answer his own prayers. See this pattern? <laughs> Naomi has answered a prayer. Now Boaz is answering a prayer, their own prayers that they prayed. So Boaz, we read that he wants this. Lunch that same day in chapter 2. He says, Ruth, come on over, get some lunch with me. Now, this is the big boss now. He didn't call the foreman over. He didn't call any supervisor over. He didn't call the executive over. He called over Ruth. And then he says, let me give you something to eat. He feeds her. Come on, y'all need a Boaz in your life. He feeds her. He gives her something to drink. And he gives her abundance. She has stuff to take home. Like, she got leftovers. She got her doggy bag. And she knew. And then Boaz tells the men, don't be harsh with her. Let her do what she got to do. Better yet, break off some stalks and throw them down for her. He's generous. I'm telling you, chapter 2 is amazing. You want a good story of Boaz, go to chapter 2. So he's done all things. So we see in this picture that he wants this. Yet, he is a man of integrity. There is nothing... I'm trying to think of the right word to say here. There's nothing implied in this message that it was x-rated i'll say it that way because <laughs> sometimes you think it is like no there's nothing x-rated going on right here he's a man of integrity and she's a woman of integrity so what's happening he's he says i, I, I may want this there's an age difference because he says you didn't go after the young man whether there's rich or poor you you came for me but i can't do it there's somebody else so in his integrity, he says, you know what? I'm going to figure it out in the morning, though. <laughs> I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Because if, if he won't do it, I'll do it myself. And so we see this picture of Boaz. He's amazing. He's gracious. He's a man of integrity. So this, this verse where it says, this is verse 9. It says, spread your wings over your servant. Um, in the context of, of, of the Middle East, uh, the spreading the garment uh, was like a protection or a marriage proposal. This act, what Ruth is saying, she's being pretty bold. She's very bold. She's walking up to him saying, I'm available. Spread, your, spread the corner of your garment over me. I'm available. You, you are my redeemer. You it. And he's like, ah. But there is something that's called a kinsman redeemer. This family redeemer. And so Boaz understands and he knows he's a man of integrity, he's a man of valor. He knows Jewish laws. So again, this picture, they're in Judges, is going crazy. Ain't nobody worshiping God, yet there's always a remnant. Boaz is from the tribe of Judah. 
And in this tribe, there's a remnant of people that are always amazing and great and following God, and Boaz is one of them. So if you would, in your own time, you can study the law of kind of this, this family redeemer, law of the near kinsman. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. And it kind of tells you, like, if someone dies, the next person is available. The brother is going to take over, is going to marry that person. Um, their kids are actually going to be through the person that dies. So they're preserving the family, they're preserving the family line. But there are three conditions. Just because this law exists, God says, look, one, you've got to be a near kinsman, you've got to be related. Two, you've got to be able to do it. If you broke, you can't redeem nobody. You need somebody to redeem you. <laughs> so you've got to be able to do it. And then three, you've got to be willing to do it. And that's where Boaz is coming from. He says, look, there's another person, and if he's willing, let him do it. But if not, I'm your people. I'm able. They already said he was wealthy. Whole field. He's a big boss. And he's saying, I'm willing. This is Christ. Jesus is doing the same for you and me today. He is our, our brother in the Lord, but he's also God. Jesus is our brother in the Lord. He's definitely able. Oh, my goodness. Old Testament says he's got something on something hills, cattle on a thousand hills. Jesus got everything, and he's willing. How, how do we know he's willing? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, you know, your will be done. That's willingness. Jesus is the willing redeemer. Boaz is just a picture. Jesus is the authentic aspect of the Redeemer. And so uh, we see that Boaz is not going to rest. We go down to chapter 3 even further. She goes back home. She says, I did everything you told me to do, Naomi. I did it all. But <sighs> Boaz is somebody else. Naomi's like, you don't, don't worry about it. He won't rest. He says, he won't rest until he's got this figured out. So, let's go to the next one. I'm going to wrap the next two up pretty quickly. Boaz, the executive. Boaz is the executive. And I'm just going to let the word do the work in this one. Because we're going to see Boaz, he's pretty smart. All right, verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Hmm. Now Boaz had gone to the gate and sat down there. Behold the Redeemer from whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then they said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you, and say, and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will do it. So imagine Boaz at this moment. He's setting this up. He says, uh, all right, it's yours. They're selling the land. If you want it, get it. And the guy says, okay, I'll buy it. 
Okay, here comes the executive part. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field, by the way, from the, from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. By the way, there's this, you know, this foreigner. So if you buy this land, you need to marry her. You need to further the land. You got to further the seed. So, you know, there's some stuff that goes along to this. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. At least I impair my own inheritance. I can't do that because that's going to jeopardize my stuff. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. The Lord is always, the Lord always got a way. When we, are, when we have integrity, when we do the things that we're supposed to do in the way that we're supposed to do them, God is going to make a way. Yeah, Boaz could have just lied. I'll redeem you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for laying down on my feet. I was a little cold. I knew something was happening. Somebody was down there. Let's go and get hitched. Sometimes we do that. But no, when we follow the law of the Lord, he provides. He provides. So again, Boaz is a little sly, but he's making his point. He's making it known that I want to be this person. So let's go Boaz the husband. I'm going to go quickly through this one. Chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. We've gone down a few verses. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who was more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, became his nurse, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. King David, Jesus comes through the line. So you go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Let me give you a little backstory of, 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 of Boaz. As parents, what we do is important. I know everyone's not a parent, but what we do is important. We are the way we are because of our upbringing. Yes, God is there for us always. But sometimes we don't always have the best. Sometimes we don't have good parents. Let's just be real. Sometimes we have to parent ourselves. But Boaz, he's, he has integrity. He has all these amazing things. Bible scholars, who's Boaz's mom? Say it again. Who? Rahab. Bible scholars, keep it PG. Who's Rahab? A who? A harlot. That's a good way to say it because nobody knows what that means nowadays. <laughs> the name, even in Hebrews, it says Rahab, the woman of the night. But is that all Rahab was? Rahab was a, a person from Jericho. But what does she do? She hid the spies. Rahab is mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a person of faith. 
Because even though she knew she could have been killed, she understood who the true God is. My question to you, do you understand who the true God is? Do we understand who God is? Rahab did. And after that, we don't read anything else about Rahab except she had a boy named Boaz. Boaz turned out pretty good. We know his, his dad was named Salmon or Salmon. I say Salmon, that's what we call it. Salmon is dad. Salmon is Jewish. Rahab is not. Yet, just like Ruth, she became a member of God because she said, if you do this, we know your God is great because we've heard of these things. Rahab has become a believer in God. So Boaz is now sandwiched. Mom, Gentile, wife, Gentile, yet all through the line of Christ. So what is that giving me? I don't have to be a member of the Jewish clan. I don't have to have one of the 12. I'm a child of God. But if, if it could happen to Rahab and it could happen to Ruth, it could happen to me. Jesus is the better and more superior Boaz. Jesus is the better, more superior Boaz. What does Boaz provide for Ruth? He provides protection. He gives her a family, and he gives her land. Let me get to my notes here because it's getting good. I got to make sure I'm saying this right. It's getting real good now. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, well, I can't find it now. But that's what Boaz provides. He provides all these things to Ruth, and Jesus provides all these things. He provides kindness, gentleness. He delivers us from spiritual poverty, provides for our eternal needs. He gives us a permanent home. He's our protector. He's our redeemer. He's everything to us, just like Boaz is in the story of Ruth. So it's not just a love story. It's actually a story of redemption. Because of Ruth, we get Jesus. We get the line of Jesus. We get the line of David because she says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. Where you buried, I'm going to be buried. And may nothing separate me from this today. That's a vow. Now, when we go to our wedding day, we write these vows. That's a vow. She's telling Naomi, I'm with you. And then we read in the end of the story that Naomi's got this grandson. And she begins to nurse it herself. And Ruth is saying, well, she's better than seven sons. That's a big thing. That's not a small statement that's made there. One son was to provide, one son would give you protection. Seven sons, the seven again, it's mentioned for a reason, seven is amazing. And she says, Ruth is better than seven sons. She's letting you know, the, the author, whoever the author is, is letting you know Ruth is that person. Ruth is it. So again, we are the Ruth. I'm not trying to pump us up to make us sound like we're more than we are, but we have Christ. We have the Holy Spirit for us believers. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So we have what we need to have. Jesus is how we do it. I'm going to borrow from, from my brother Bill Spillman. Bill Spillman stand up, stood up here several years ago. He gave a sermon. I wasn't here, but I listened to it called This is the Way. This is the way. He was referencing the Mandalorian and we nerds together. But Jesus is the way. When we understand that because Ruth understood this, some of us can't get it. Ruth understood, well, there's only one way, your God. I'm going that way. When we as a people understand, there's only one way. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. That's who we have. He's our redeemer. So even though we've gone through this story of Boaz, this character story of Boaz and him being a good redeemer, Jesus is our redeemer. But he's asking, are you coming to my threshing floor? Are you coming? Do you need to come back? <laughs> Let me ask it that way. What does that mean? I'm not saying that your, your salvation is lost. No, but I'm saying you could be in a backslidden state today. You could be living a, a time in your life right now that where you know Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. You heard about Jesus, but you don't really understand Jesus. Boaz is a picture of who Christ is. Go ahead and throw that picture up, um, Lauren. He's a picture of Jesus. Some of us carry pictures in our wallets. There, yeah. Some of us carry pictures in our wallets, put them in our offices. You know that picture is just a representation. That's me, that's Daxon, that's Lauren. But that's not us. That's a picture of us. You don't understand how we feel. You don't know what we're doing. You don't know what we understand. Boaz is just a picture. Jesus is the authentic redeemer. So while he's the picture, while he points us to it, we don't raise up Boaz. We raise up King Jesus. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this word today as we... Have just study your word in the book of Ruth. I encourage everyone to, to just take some time to, to, to go through. Of course, I couldn't go through it all, uh, but we see that, that Boaz, this, this mighty man of valor, this generous person, kind person, loving person, uh, is just a small representation of who Christ is in our life. We've got the better Boaz, and his name is Jesus. And he's not dead. He is alive. So thank you for the listeners. I echo what, what Joshua said earlier about the soils. The parable of the four soils, the seed was always the same. The word of God doesn't change, but our receptivity to the word does. So I pray that the, so the seeds that have been dropped, and they're just seeds, will grow, will sprout because we have been receptive to have great soil. So thank you. I'm just thankful to be able to, to deliver God's word. In Jesus' name, amen.